0: Well, today we're going to return again to Luke chapter 6. And over the past few weeks, as we've read and carefully studied about some of these ordinary matters spoken about here in Luke chapter 6, we've been reminded that we are not on our own. We are not on our own within any of these matters that are taking place. But that the Lord Jesus is intimately involved in any and all of them, teaching us and guiding our steps as we respond to each of life's circumstances that come our way. And that's so with this matter that's spoken about here in these words today, are seeming to always be needing and seeking the approval of people around us. That's something we don't like to admit. But folks, though we may not want to admit it, the need for approval from other people seems to flow powerfully and deeply within most all of our souls. Men and women doing whatever it takes to gain that approval. And that's especially so for those who would have some control over our happiness, over our desires, our plans for the future. We want to gain their approval. In the common ordinary days of life, men go to strange and even foolish lengths to gain the attention and the favor of a woman. And I'm told that it seems that women do much the same, spending hours and much of their income on cosmetics and jewelry and clothing and those sorts of things. And it's said that women's efforts are often intended not only to attract the attention of a man, but to also avoid the critical eye and the criticism of other women. Now, I don't know about things like that. You ladies will have to decide whether that's true. But also, and unfortunately so, all of the inordinate attention that's given to our outward appearance is only the beginning. There are also matters that are below the surface within each one of us that we find need to try to enhance or to cover up. And for those things that clothing and makeup and that sort of thing don't cover, we use clever language. Clever language, words and expressions suitable to an occasion, hoping then that our words will help us to gain the approval of those people that we are talking to. Now let me hasten to say that not all such efforts in themselves are necessarily wrong or sinful. It is very appropriate to dress suitable, to the occasions that we're involved in. And it's fitting and proper that we use our conversations well, choosing proper words for each occasion. But the warnings that are being given to us here from these scriptures today, they point beyond the ordinary and the appropriate levels of appearance and conversation. These words point on into purposes and intents of the heart that are not appropriate. Intentions of the heart that are not appropriate. And for good reason, because while such behavior that's referred to here is wrong and sinful under any circumstance, it's especially wrong within the context of our Christian religion and in the context of church congregations. Listen to these words from the passage that I've been reading over the past three weeks now. Luke chapter 6, verse 20, and we'll be reading some of the Words that we've already studied about, but I want to put it all into a proper context. Verse 20 of chapter 6 of Luke. Then he, this is the Lord Jesus, lifted up his eyes towards his disciples and he said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and when they revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. And woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Folks, there are things that lurk within each of our hearts that we are simply not aware are there. We're blinded to their presence. And that's why God gives us careful guidance and strong warnings about our heart. And how our heart responds to the circumstances of our days. In Proverbs 4, God tells us to keep your heart with vigilance. For from it flows the springs of life. And then in Mark chapter 7, Jesus gives us some strong warnings about what can take place and come out of our heart. He says there in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 21, he says, Out of the heart of man come... Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Folks, these are the words of the Lord Jesus. Hard sayings, but sayings that you and I need to understand pertain to us. Personally, simply and plainly put, our heart is not as benign and as caring as we might want to believe it to be. To the contrary, and in the words given by Jeremiah chapter 17, we're told that the heart is desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things. And ask the question, who can know it? Can you even know your own heart? Now, by these words, God wants you and me to be honest with ourselves and sometimes brutally honest with ourselves. We really need to know that we are not that kind and generous and loving person that we want to believe ourselves to be. I'm recalling a circumstance with a young lady that was pleading with someone else and saying, I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person. I was not involved in that conversation so i didn't have any response but the lord does in these words you and i and our heart is not as benign and as caring as we want to think ourselves to be and because most of us always want to be right in every conversation to always have our own way in matters we often tread on wrong ground before the lord in our conversations Now, those words there in Jeremiah 17, they're true. And yes, they are brutally honest. And we ought to accept them as being so. Our hearts, our nature are desperately wicked and deceitful. So much so that we ourselves are fooled by our own heart. As I've considered the impact of that verse, my thoughts have gone to some of those scenes in those soapy movies where you hear a well-intentioned person saying to another person, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. That sounds so sweet, doesn't it? But folks, that counsel and that advice is wrong based on the authority of the word of this scripture. Our hearts are the worst guides that we can choose. And again, you and I must understand and accept that these words are speaking to you and to me. Now recall the words that I just read there from Luke chapter 6. The word you and yours was used prominently. They're speaking about you and me. Within our heart, within your heart, within my heart, can have all sorts of evil. And these words from the Lord warn us that surely those awful things will eventually flow out from our heart. Sometimes blessing people, but very often cursing them. And God offers no quarter and no comfort to that destructive nature within us. The words of our passage here in Luke chapter 6 have to do with many forms of sin. But here in particular, God is warning us about sins that involve the use and the misuse of our tongue, of our words. And while the words seem to focus most on the things that people will say about us, the warning in these words are also for you and me as we ab- observe one another and we let our thoughts and our imaginations carry us into conversations that we shouldn't be involved in. They are to us. These words are to us personally. Our tongues truly are able to be, as the Apostle James describes, an unruly evil. An unruly evil. And again, as I mentioned at the beginning of our service today these are hard sayings we don't want to hear this about us and we don't want to hear these words about other people but the Lord is being brutally honest with us and in the book of James he tells us about just how unruly our tongues can be in a conversation a common conversation that we'll get involved with with our friends this very day certainly one day soon listen to these words This is James chapter 3, beginning of verse 2. There he tells us, We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man or woman. Able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths and they obey us. And we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so very large and are driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and it boasts great things. See how great a forest, a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. And it sets on fire the course of nature. And it itself is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men and women who have been made in His image. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursing. And He gives this simple Advice, He says, my brethren, these things ought not to be. These things ought not to be. Now, I must confess to you that it has been often in my life that I have despised my own tongue. Times when I have prayed earnestly that, Lord, this day, this day, will you silence my voice just for this day. Folks, I have a propensity For saying too much of the wrong things at the wrong time. You have to decide that for yourself. But I know that about me. And unfortunately for you and for me, the use of our tongues is an irrevocable part of that free will provision given to us by God. And consequently, most all of the things that come out of our mouths are our own responsibility. And we're held accountable for them. We're held accountable for the things that we say. Again, those words in the book of James, let me say them again. They're real and they're true. He says, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. And it sets on fire the course of nature. Has that ever taken place with you, how a conversation would start to escalate? You wish it would stop. But for some reason, you can't stop your own tongue and the person that you're talking with, they don't either, and it escalates. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body, and it sets on fire the course of nature. We say things that cannot be taken back. Those other people, that other person, they remember it forever, it seems. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body, and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men and women who have been made in His image. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings, and my brethren, those things ought not be so. Our tongue and the words that come forth from it, they are strange, an unthinkable mixture of good and evil. With it, we can bless God and we can be very Christianly. But then a short time later, with it, we can curse men and women who are made in His image. Both blessings and curses flow over our tongues all through our day. We excuse ourselves because the people we talk about are maybe some difficult politician. And we think that's okay, but it's not. Those people were also made in God's image. And those blessings and curses, mostly curses in those cases, flow over our tongues all through our day. As we're told here in the book of James, my brethren, that ought not be so. But also note here in these words that the provocation not only comes out of our own desperately wicked heart, The devil is also very intimately involved all of the time. Here God tells us our tongue is set on fire by hell. Listen to these words. Verse 6. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And then listen. And it is set on fire by hell. At the center of most all sinful behavior is the interactions of our soul with the demonic forces of evil that thrive all around us every day. The devil was present there in those first tempting moments there in the garden, and he is present and tempting now with each provocation that takes place within your and my soul, especially then as he's telling us here with the misdeeds of our tongue. But we must also always remember that although you and I are tempted and beguiled by Satan and by his demonic helpers, You and I are still personally accountable for our own actions and our responses and our behaviors. You'll recall there in the garden that God held Adam and Eve accountable. Though they were tempted by Satan, they couldn't blame it on him. God holds us personally accountable for our behaviors. And he gives us a simple warning. My brethren, those things ought not be so. You and I really can do our part. We don't think we can. At times, we think that we were so provoked by something someone else said that it wasn't our fault. But listen, the Scriptures are clear. Within our salvation, we've been given the free will power to turn away from sin. We don't have any free will to turn away from sin before we have Christ as our Savior. But once the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, Romans chapter 6 assures us that you and I, then have the power to turn away from sin. Don't let anyone beguile you into believing that it's not your fault. How often does someone try to console us by saying, it's not your fault. They provoked you. It is our fault. You and I can stop those words that rise up on our tongues. We don't have to say the things that we are tempted to say. And again, we're told in these scriptures that God is faithful to always give us a moment of warning, a moment of escape before we say or do the wrong thing. So then, what is our answer? The answer is you and I need to remain very sensitive to hear the voice of God, that still small voice. And you and I must listen to Him and say only that which He gives us to say. Yes, it feels better for us to curse that other person, sometimes to their face. But it's wrong. You and I need to hear and obey that still small voice of God and turn away from that temptation. That's the warnings being given to us here in our Scripture passage for today. Here we're being warned to exercise great care, both with the words that we say and with the words that we receive from others. We can be influenced by those. There's great danger that lurks within both of those. And here Jesus is especially calling attention to the special relationship that we have with Him. And the difficult, sometimes painful manner with which other people respond to us about our relationship with Christ. Folks, there are a lot of people who are very uncomfortable just being around you because you are a Christian. Because you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. They don't know why they're uncomfortable. You may not understand why they're uncomfortable. But he's telling us here. Listen verse, beginning in verse 22. Blessed are you when men hate you. When they exclude you. And they revile you. And they cast out your name as evil. For the son of man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner, their fathers did to the prophets. And then he tells us in verse 26. Woe to you. When all men speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. We hear a lot about religious persecution, and especially here in America. And some of it is truly taking place. Yes, we're mistreated in not being able to express our Christian faith in certain venues, like our public school system or in our workplaces. But listen, for us in this church, and in the local churches, and in our local communities. There's not a lot of persecution and mistreatment that comes near us. We're free to attend this church. We're free to read our Bibles, to witness and to share our faith in most every venue. Probably the greatest difficulty of the sort that's being spoken about here in our Scripture text takes place in a much more subtle way. Hidden deeply within the attitudes and the temperaments of the membership of some of our local congregations, there's often an ongoing foment, an undercurrent of displeasure swirling about. I'm recalling at least two or three men that pastored churches that worked with me at French camp after they had been at their church for a short period of time they realized how much the undercurrent of problems and and anger and frustration was present within their churches. Disagreements about how the church is being run. Disagreements about perhaps the materials that are used in the Sunday school classes and in other activities. Sometimes in some of those churches, the displeasure is greater than the pleasure. And it's not easily seen by visitors who walk in. Because church members have learned to put on our churchy face. And we smile and we say nice things. But let me give you a statistic that I was reading in recent years about pastors. And it paints a different picture. The statistic tells us that the average lifespan of a church pastor in a small congregation in, in the South is only about a year and a half. And the reason given for that short tenure is exactly the point that's being made here in these words of our scripture text today. He says in verse 22, Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and they revile you, and they cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. What causes church members to start to despise their pastor? It's when he begins to say things that they don't want to hear. It's one thing when we're told by our government... That we can't pray in schools and we can't erect religious symbols and such in public parks. But folks, it's another thing altogether. When a pastor has to wonder which one of the church members he'll offend with this week's message. We, We don't have this in our church and I'm so thankful. And we'll joke in this church and say such things as preacher. Today you quit preaching and you started to meddle. I'm so thankful that... We don't have that turmoil here. But listen, as we look around us at the church congregations just in this immediate community, they've split, moved one part of a church moving in one direction and part of the church moving in another. Why is that so? It's because some of the more powerful members of those congregations, they don't want to hear convicting sermons being preached to them. They don't want to be told as... The Apostle James tells us that out of our heart will flow all sorts of wicked things. They don't want to hear that the Lord Jesus said those very words. So many of these powerful church members in some of these congregations, they have their private sinful ways and they want to hold on to those. And they don't want to be told when they're wrong. And when a preacher then dares to preach the Word of God, and that word conflicts with some of those members' conscience, that subtle undercurrent of turmoil rises then to the top and the pastor, listen, the pastor either quits preaching the gospel or he quits preaching at that church, one of the two. Unfortunately, too often, the pastor often chooses that first alternative and he simply waters down his messages. He waters down the gospel. He mellows the gospel. And he presents it in such a way as to not offend some of his more sensitive members. And then if that watering down, that mellowing continues, it soon reduces down to nothing more than the sermon being interesting stories and social comments being made that everyone agrees with. And when that takes place, as these words of Scripture tells us, those powerful church members begin to speak well of that pastor. When he mellows down the convicting words of the gospel, then those people start to speak well of him. Everyone seems happy. Everyone except God. Everyone except God. So here in verse 26, he tells us, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Clear words, folks. And this warning is for you and me. The true gospel must always go forth out of our mouths as we witness to others, as in our conversations with others, but also, and especially out of this pulpit, without compromise and without concern that it's going to offend someone. No, you don't have to get on a soapbox about matters, but you do have to remain the Christian that you are in all circumstances. You cannot compromise that. God will not allow you to. I would ask that as I preach the word every Sunday, that you would let These words of God truly begin to dig deeply into your souls. And let them meddle. Let them meddle into your daily affairs of life. Folks, these words, they meddle into my life. And I am blessed because they do. And I would ask that you would let them meddle into yours also. So one last thought before we close. As Christians... Our belief in Christ and our desire to live according to His truth, it should really start to show both to ourselves on the inside, but especially to other people as they get to know us. And as they do get to know us truly as Christian believers, sometimes, perhaps often, our Christianity will cause some of those other people to resent us. That's what he's talking about here. Your Christianity, just being witnessed as you live in in amongst them, it'll cause them to resent you. And this passage tells us so. Now those people may not even realize why they're resentful towards you. But it's most likely, as these words are telling us, it's because their heart is being convicted by the presence of Christ in you. Again, you don't have to get on a soapbox and be critical of them or tell them how wrong they are. Just your living out your Christian life in the process of your day. The Holy Spirit will take that and convict them of sin. And by the way, that can bring some very difficult problems to relationships within your own family. Each of us have family members that are struggling with sin. Some of them don't know Christ. But listen, you walking your Christian life in their presence... Is by God's design and plan. He loves them. He loves those ones. And he wants them to suffer those convictions. Don't apologize. Simply live out your Christian life in their presence. Because God wants them to be convicted of their sin. As he says there in John chapter 16 that I read to us earlier. God wants them to suffer the convictions. And you and I must not take offense to the way they respond to us. We simply need to continue to be the Christians that God calls us to be. And then perhaps eventually, at some point, those dear ones will hear that still small voice of God and they'll turn from their sins. Listen and we'll close. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and they revile you and they cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed your reward is great in heaven. Let's pray.